Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. All right, good morning. We're going to pray before we dive in. Lord, I just thank you for another day. Father, I pray as we uh, enter into your living word, Father, that your words would pierce our hearts and our souls. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. In your son Jesus' name, amen. He will take a few steps down the bank, and before his feet touch the water, he'll just stop, and he will take a moment to take in the sights, the sounds, the smells of everything that's around him. You see, there's a crowd of people, but they're like a silhouette against the backdrop of the nature. First thing is he'll do, he'll look down and see the river flowing right by his feet. That river that brings life to all the vegetation and the animals around him. He'll take a moment just to listen to the birds, to the animals. And then he'll take a moment, just take a deep breath and to smell and feel the earth under his feet. And then he'll take a moment and close his eyes because he will close his eyes and start to remember everything that has happened at this spot in their nation's history. He'll remember Joshua leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And when they all came and he took 12 rocks out of the river, put them into the camp at Gilgal, each rock representing the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. And then he'll remember that he took another 12 rocks, put them back into the river. And when the people that held the uh, Ark of the Covenant, when they walked across, they stepped on those stones. And so he'll remember when John told the people, come repent, be baptized of your sins. And for those of you that think you're just God's child because your father is Abraham, listen, God could raise children from the very rocks. And that is a reference back to when the people crossed and he put the rocks in the river. He'll remember the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that crossed that river to walk into the promised land. And he'll remember those two buddies whose names sound alike, Elijah and Elisha. On that day when they showed up, God stopped the waters from flowing and they crossed and they spent some time together alone on the other side. And then this amazing, powerful moment where Elijah is just taken up into heaven. And Elisha now takes Elijah's garments and then asks for a double portion of what the, the power that Elijah had. And Elisha will walk back across that river on his own as a new prophet for the nation of Israel. You see, there's been these powerful moments that have all happened right here. And his feet are one step away from entering the water where those powerful moments happened. And he will open his eyes, and the crowd will watch as he begins to walk into the river. And he will go and greet his cousin. And him and his cousin will have a short conversation. His cousin will try to explain, listen, you can't, I, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. This isn't how this is supposed to work. And he'll explain to his cousin, no, this has to happen. You have to baptize me. They could, they'll have this little debate go back and forth, and... They'll go on with it. The lens of Scripture has taken us to this moment, the moment he knows is the most powerful one out of all of them. He knows what is about to happen. So I want to invite you to come find a seat in the place today that's known as Kasur al-Yahud. It means the palace of the Jews. It is in the West Bank, just a little southeast of Jericho, north of the Dead Sea. 
this place where this powerful moment happens. I want to invite you to pull up a rock, find a tree stump to sit on. If you have kids with you, throw them on your shoulders. You're going to want your kids to see this moment. And Scripture's already taken us there. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Last week we kicked off this series that we're going to be in for a while looking at the book of Luke, the life, the ministry of Jesus. And Pastor Dave kicked it off last week looking at John the Baptist, his call for the people of Israel to, be, to repent of their sins and be baptized. And we looked at, man, repentance meaning turning away from your sins. But we have Jesus who enters into the waters to be baptized, who had no sin. So what does he have to repent from? So we have this Jesus with no sin, nothing to repent from, but going to be baptized. And so it really just begs the question, why did Jesus get baptized? That's what we're looking at today. Why did, why did he have to do this? Why did he do this? And we see a couple of things. The first thing is, is Jesus got baptized to reveal God's nature to us. Verse 21 says the heavens were open. Listen, in Scripture, anytime it says that the heavens were open, it was always this powerful moment that God either manifested himself in some way or God spoke in some powerful way. Sometimes both of those things happen. In Ezekiel 1.1, it says that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. In Acts 7.56, during the stoning of Stephen, it says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In Revelation 19.11, John writes, Then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war you see there's this theme throughout scripture that every time that the heavens are open there's this powerful move of God or the nature of God is revealed you see in Ezekiel chapter 1 when he says man the heavens were open and I see visions of God it's this moment throughout the rest of the chapter where God is now calling Ezekiel to be a prophet to the nation of Israel a prophet one who speaks for God to the people and so God starts to unravel this plan to Ezekiel in Acts in Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen, Stephen is, his, in, is in his very last moments. He is being killed for testifying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he died and rose again three days later. And in the moment that he is in his last moment, he opens up his eyes and he sees heaven open. And God the Father with God the Son standing at the right hand of God the Father. What a powerful moment that must have been for Stephen because that is the moment where he is being, it's confirmed for him, like, listen, the reason you're dying, the thing you testified about, the thing that, you, that people are killing you about, is true. And then we get in the book of Revelation, and John writing about end times, and we get the heavens open, and it's a picture of Jesus coming back, going to restore all of creation. You see, there's this amazing moment, every time that it says heavens were open in Scripture, that we see the nature of the triune God. The image is reminiscent of Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, that you would rend or open the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence. At the baptism of Jesus, we see each member of the Trinity, the triune God, present at the baptism of Jesus. You get God the Son in human form standing in the water. You get the Holy Spirit descending like a dove onto him. And then you get this audible voice from God the Father in the approval of his Son. And it's important to understand that there's, this, that there's an importance about that statement, like a dove. You see, there's this great connection between baptism and the creation narrative that we find in Genesis. 
In Mark's account of Jesus' baptism, he says, the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And this part where Mark's gospel is so important is because many believe Mark's was the first gospel written. And so this like a dove statement would have actually been a trigger for Jewish people. Because in that day and time, they would have been reading and studying the Aramaic translation of the uh, Hebrew Bible, which is called the Targums. And the Targums is the only place you find this like a dove statement in creation narrative and in the creation story that we find in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1-2, we typically read it as, the spirit hovered across the face of the water. And that Hebrew word for hover is better translated as flutter. And so the rabbis who translated the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible into Aramaic, into Aramaic, into the Targums, they wrote it this way, the earth was without form and empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove and God spoke, let there be light. So when it says that the spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, it would have immediately took everybody back to the creation narrative, that there's this, this connection between Jesus' baptism and the creation of the world and the creation of the universe. And, and what is that connection, this like a dove moment? Tim Keller explains it this way, that there are three parties in the original creation of the world. There's God, there's God's spirit, and there's God's word because he creates through his word. He speaks and it exists. Later on in the Gospel of John chapter one, we're told as in Genesis, we see God, God's spirit, and God's word. So it is that what happened at the beginning of the world was that it was created by the triune God, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What Mark is deliberately doing here is drawing us back. He's pointing to the original creation in which you had the Father, you had the voice or the word or the sun, and you had the Holy Spirit fluttering like a dove. Mark is saying this, just as the original creation of the world was a project of the triune God, so, so the recreation of the world, the salvation of the world, the renewal of the world that is beginning now with the baptism of Jesus is also a project of the triune God. You see, in the creation story, we see the power and nature of God. And we also see it here in the baptism of Jesus. And so in the baptism of Jesus, we see the very nature of God as we see all three persons of the Trinity show up. We also see that Jesus got baptized to kick off his ministry and foreshadow his mission. See, this moment, his baptism, both kicks off his ministry, but it's also a picture of how his ministry will end. We're going to take a deep dive into the ministry and life of Jesus as we work through the book of Luke. So I'm not going to spend too much time looking at everything, but this moment, as it kicks off his ministry, his baptism also projects how it will end for him. You see, Jesus got, in his baptism, he identified with the very sinners he came to save. He identifies with you and with me. John is calling the people to repent of their sins. And we have Jesus, one with no sin, have nothing to repent of, yet enter into the water to be baptized, simply identifying himself with those who are sinful. He fulfills all righteousness, not only through his life and perfect obedience to the Father, but also in his death. You see, Jesus doesn't simply identify with us in his death. He actually takes our place at his death. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. He takes our guilt. It isn't just identifying with us. He replaces us. You see, that righteous requirement of God's law was death as a payment for sin. And we read about in Colossians 2.14 that Jesus' death pays that in full. 
It says this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so what is the first act of Jesus' ministry? What catapults and kicks off Jesus' ministry? The one who had no sin, excuse me, publicly identifies with those who had no righteousness. It's the sinless lamb submitted to the baptism designed for sinners foreshadowing that he would submit himself to the death deserved by sinners. You see, Jesus' whole ministry involved taking our place. His whole purpose was taking our place to pay the price that we could not pay, live the life we could not live, and take our place in all of it. You see, Jesus goes into the waters of confession. He offers his perfect human response of submission and faith. And in Jesus, he end, in his baptism, we see Jesus enters baptism as one of us, but he goes to the cross for us. You see, there's a big difference. He goes to the baptism as one of us, but when he goes to the cross, it's for us, which means if, it, if he went to the cross as one of us, it would mean that we would have to go to the cross too. But because he went for us, it means there's a substitution there that we don't have to now go to the cross. He enters into baptism, the baptism needed for sinners as identifying as one of us, but he goes to the cross for us. And there's this amazing thing with Jesus' baptism because his baptism is a foreshadow and kicking off a, a, a future look at what his, his mission is and how his life will end and yet for the Christian now, when we get baptized, we look back at the cross. His baptism looks forward to it. Ours looks back to it. And finally, we see that Jesus got baptized to set an example for us. You see, when we get baptized, we are obeying Jesus. If you are, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have decided to give your life to Jesus and you're a disciple of his, then the command that we find in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is pretty clear says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. What's the first thing Jesus says when there's a new disciple? Get baptized. You see, baptism is kind of the first step for a new believer. It's that first step of obedience for a new believer. And listen, there's a difference between follower and disciple. Okay, for um, in our culture and today, like we use follower and disciple like they're synonyms. But biblically, follower and disciple are not the same thing. Let me explain. A disciple, maybe a better word would, instead of follower would be imitator. Because a, dis, a disciple's job would be to imitate the life of the rabbi that they, that, that they were a disciple under. They would learn everything. How he learned, how he studied, how he taught, how he lived his life what he ate, when he ate it, how he served people. Like, they would imitate everything. They weren't just following the guy around. Like, they imitated his life. And the goal was to do exactly what your rabbi did. There's a difference biblically between disciple and follower. Like, there were lots of followers with Jesus. We will see it throughout the book of Luke. There were always crowds of people Tons of followers, and the followers wanted another miracle, another teaching, another healing. Like, I mean, if you show up and you watch some dude feed 5,000 people out of a little kid's lunchbox, I want to watch that happen again. There's always followers with Jesus, but he's not calling people to be followers. He's calling us to be disciples. Listen, uh, here's the difference. Followers, your tune can change when things don't go the way you want. Let me explain. There were lots of followers when he comes riding into the city. And they're all chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. You're the Messiah of the world. They're laying palm trees down. 
And they're all chanting, save now, Jesus is Lord, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And it's a little short time after that, after he's betrayed and he's standing in front of Pontius Pilate with Barabbas. And Pontius Pilate says, who do you want, Barabbas, the thief and the murderer? Or do you want Jesus, the one who has done nothing? All those followers that were chanting, Messiah, Messiah, save now, save now, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, are now chanting, give us Barabbas, the, thir- the, the, the murderer and the thief. Kill Jesus, kill Jesus, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. You see how their tune starts to change? Real fast. You want to know how it looks like in our world? I want Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Let me talk about your sexuality, your finances, your marriage, your drinking, how you act, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat your boss. Let's talk about this. And then we go from, I want Jesus, I want Jesus. Well, Jesus, I don't want to talk about that anymore. And Jesus, I don't want you to touch that part. I'm cool if you touch these areas, but not this one over here. You see how a follower starts to change their tune? You see, when Jesus and his life and his ministry, there was always followers, but there is a drastic difference biblically from a follower and a disciple. Listen, Jesus went to the cross for everybody, but followers we find at the cross rejected the cross, rejected him. There's a difference between followers and disciples. He died for everybody. But we'll see there's a drastic difference between the disciples at the death of Jesus and the followers. Listen, if you have decided to be a disciple of Jesus, to give your life to him, then your first step is to be baptized. If you haven't done that, we're having an opportunity for you. On February 4th, we are going to have baptisms in our service. You can sign up by scanning that QR code that's up there right now. You can go on lifechurchmv.com, click under our events page, go to the Church Center app and sign up there. We would love to celebrate your decision to be a disciple of Jesus. You see, when we get baptized, we go public with our faith. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, when we have baptisms, we ask two questions to those that are being baptized. And oftentimes, you guys don't really get to hear it because the way we do baptisms is baptism is in the midst of our worship. Right, so the band is up here playing, and we're all singing while people are getting baptized. And I kind of, I love that way, the way that we do it, because the whole time we are singing corporately together, giving glory and praise to God for what he has done, not just in our life, but for the lives that he has changed and those that are being baptized. But there's two questions we always ask. First one is this, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again three days later? Yes, cool. Do you, uh, do you want to be a disciple of his for the rest of your life? Yes, all right, cool. And then we'll baptize them. And see, in their baptism is this public confession that Jesus is Lord over their life. And there's a lot of reasons people don't get baptized. One reason people don't get baptized is they just don't think it's necessary. They don't think it's necessary for salvation. And they will point to Jesus on the cross with the two sinners next to him, and one of them going, hey, Jesus doesn't deserve to be up here. He hasn't committed any sins. He committed no crimes. He doesn't deserve to be up here. And Jesus tells them, on this day, you will be with me in heaven. And so people say, well, he didn't get baptized. I mean, could you imagine that? Like Jesus promises, like, yeah, you'll you'll be with me in heaven, but we're going to have to take the nails out. You're going to have to come down. They're going to baptize you, and then they're going to nail you back up here. Like, that would be, that 
that would suck. And so they say, listen, he didn't get baptized, so it's not necessary. Or what about people maybe in their last moments, maybe on a deathbed, and um, they're in their last moments of life, and they make this decision, but they don't get baptized. Most people say baptism is not necessary for salvation. My response to that is, I don't think it's necessary for salvation. I do believe it's necessary for obedience. So if you have not been baptized, I'd wonder about the obedience part. Other, another reason is people are afraid of water. This is, feels funny, but like people have a fear of water. Listen, if, you have a, if you're afraid of water and you want to get baptized, you actually get to church 15 to 20 minutes early. We walk you up to the baptismal and we show you how it's all going to go down. We show you where to place your hands and how we're going to put you down. And we let you know, like, if you're scared, like, you can grab on. It's only going to be a couple of seconds. Um, we, you know, explain what it looks like, answer any questions to try to make people feel as comfortable as possible. If there's kids or teenagers in there, we let them know that their parents have specifically asked. We hold them down a little longer. You know, and we got ridden in there. We're okay. And uh, some people are just afraid of water. And I understand that. One, you may not trust us. Um, you know, we may not have the relationship with you that you trust that we're going to put you down and bring you back up. I mean, my kids, we were on vacation a little, maybe a year ago, and I remember hearing our kids in the bathtub, and they were baptizing each other. And that's when I realized why people could be afraid. <laughs> You're just watching them do it. It's like, oh, I hope I don't do that. <laughs> you know, they hold each other down a little bit long. For other people, they're just embarrassed. For some people, they're just, they feel like maybe they're too old. They're too old. I can, you know, I, I've waited too long in life. I, I'm too old to get baptized. And they're embarrassed by it. There was a couple of years ago, we had a gentleman uh, who told his family he wanted to get baptized. His family contacted the church and said, hey, uh, our dad wants to get baptized but he is, he's in a wheelchair. And uh, so we don't know how that's going to happen. But if you guys can figure it out, we'd love to make it happen. And so there was four of us on staff that just were like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get him, we're going to roll him up there. And four of us are going to figure out how to pick him up that causes him the least amount of pain. And we're going to put him in. And then we're going to hopefully, when we pick him up and bring him back out, we'll be the least amount of pain as we can possibly do. And we did it. It was one of the coolest baptisms I've ever been a part of or ever witnessed. Listen, you're never too old to be obedient. For others, they're embarrassed because it's been too long. You've been at this church too long. You're in a life group. You serve. You think everybody that kind of knows you probably assumes you've been baptized. And if you do it now, that's really embarrassing. Again, never too late to be obedient. I don't think you're ever too late. You're ever too old to be obedient. Other people are just simply nervous. There are lots of people in here. It is up on these screens, and it's online. Like, that's nerve-wracking. It's a lot of folks. For you, listen, we're not here to judge you. We're here to celebrate you and the decision that you have made, and we're here to bring glory and honor to God for the change he's made in your life. It's that simple. For others, it's my, my faith is personal. It's not public. Nobody else needs to know about this. This is just between me and God. This has nothing to do with anybody else. And for me, my response to be would, would be, it's not either or, it's a both and. Your faith is extremely private and personal. You should have a personal walk with God, but your faith should also be public, lived in community. Listen, um, 
Jesus did not go to the cross very privately. His betrayal, his trial, his beating, his death were extremely public. If there was any part of it that was private, it was the miracle of the resurrection. Now, if it was me, the trial, the betrayal, the trial, the persecution, and the death, private. But three days later, when I rise again from the grave and I come walking out of that tomb, oh, I want a DJ with every speaker you can think of, massive amounts of folks, and it is going to be bumping. And when that tomb rolls away, I am going to step out of this joint with a temptation slide like, hey, oh, this is a public joint right now. You see, that's not what we find with Jesus. The shameful part, the beatings, the horrific stuff, the terrible stuff was all extremely public. And yet when he defeats sin in the grave, it's pretty private. You see, when we get baptized, we paint a picture of the gospel. There's an imagery shared between our baptism and the gospel, and it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans 6, 3 through 7, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see, there's this picture of the gospel when we're baptized. The picture is, is that when someone goes under the water, it's a picture of your old self dying. The sin the guilt, the shame of all of that being nailed to the cross, dying with Jesus. And when we're brought out of the waters, this picture of this raised to newness of life, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, baptism into Jesus means that we're baptized into his death, buried with him, and resurrected with him. What is true physically for Jesus is true spiritually for us. I love when we have baptisms because without fail, there is going to be some people here that are here to support a loved one, a family, a friend, but they don't believe in Jesus, and they don't go to church. Oftentimes, some of them will come, they'll watch the baptism, and then they just, they, they walk out, and grab some donuts and coffee, and they'll hang out on the patio until service is done, because there's gonna be pictures and stuff taken. But one of my favorite things is that for a moment, they are going to watch and support a loved one, a family member, a friend that is getting baptized, and for a moment, they are watching the gospel. They are getting a picture of the gospel as someone goes down to be buried, an example of the death and burial of Jesus, and then coming up in the resurrection of Jesus. It is an awesome moment. There's a story when baptisms happened on the island of Barbados, and it goes like this. When the gospel was first pre preached on the island of Barbados, several accepted the invitation to be baptized. When they arrived at the water for the baptismal service, the women were dressed in nightgowns and the men in striped pajamas. The missionaries were afraid this might be misunderstood and urged the candidates to change their clothes. They refused. The missionaries allowed it reluctantly and decided to be sure this did not happen the next time. 
Before the next baptismal service, the missionaries attended a funeral and noticed the corpse was dressed in pajamas. It was explained, we believe when a person dies, he goes to sleep. So we are buried in our sleepwear. Then the missionary understood the baptism had been explained as a burial and the candidates wore their burial clothes. You see, for them, they understood that what baptism meant was this picture of the gospel, that your old self dies. So when they showed up to be baptized, they were in their pajamas. And it was just simple. My old self is dead, and when I come out of that water, I am walking in a new life, raised to a new life in Jesus. It's really why we baptize by immersion instead of just a sprinkling. You see, with a sprinkling, you lose the image of the gospel. With baptism by immersion, you get the gospel picture. And as we think, we believe it's important, we believe it's it's taught in scripture, but we believe it's important for people to see in a powerful testimony, in a powerful way, what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you have given your life to Jesus, and you are a disciple of his, and you have not been baptized, my question for you is quite simple. Why? Now, maybe, maybe you have just made that decision recently, and this is our first one of the new year. And so maybe you're like, well, I, we, we've been waiting on you. Right? Maybe that's, maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been five years, 20 years. You've never gone public with a, a baptism. Listen, there's a thing. Um, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Let me explain. If I ask my, tell my children, please go clean your room, and four hours later they go to clean their room, in four hours I am happy they finally listened. But for four hours, that was delayed obedience. So now we need to have a conversation because for four hours you were disobedient. You see, delayed obedience is still disobedience. So again, if you have made the decision to be a disciple of Jesus, yet you have not gone public with a baptism, Why? And at what point are you going to become uncomfortable with your delayed obedience? At what point is that a problem for you? Acts 22, 16, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. For some of you, maybe you were baptized as an infant. And for you, you're like, okay, I was baptized as an infant. Do I still need to do it now that I've made the decision as I became an adult or I was older? And maybe you have that question. Um, I would encourage you, look at your baptism as an infant, as not your choice, maybe the choice of your parents or grandparents or whoever raised you, but it was their choice and not your choice. And I would look at your baptism as an infant like what we would call child dedications. At Life Church, we don't baptize infants. We do baby dedications or child dedications. And here's why we believe scripture is pretty clear. We just believe that it um, is taught that you should, uh, for somebody to be baptized, they have to be at least of age and a mature mindset that they can make that decision on their own. That it needs to be your own personal decision to be a disciple of Jesus and to get baptized. And so I would encourage you, if maybe you got baptized as an infant, but now you've made that decision as you've gotten older and you've made that decision on your own, I would encourage you to consider being baptized on February 4th because now it's your decision. Nobody else made that for you. For those of us that have been baptized, you are a disciple of Jesus, you've made that decision, and you've been baptized, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, well, there's some people in here that need to hurry up and get baptized, but that wasn't for me. 
Here's the thing, for those of us that have made that decision and we're disciples of Jesus, we got public with our faith to be baptized, here's our thing for you. I just wanna remind you of the truth of the gospel. We read about in Romans. You are no longer a slave to sin, to shame, and to guilt. You have been set free. You see, baptism is this powerful testimony of the gospel and this powerful imagery but you can't just go get baptized every week and let that be your only testimony. Instead, you're now called to walk in a newness of life with freedom. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you're walking out in that freedom. My encouragement for you, remember the truth of the gospel. You've been set free. We sang a song about that. You've been set free. So walk out in freedom from it all. Listen, I know for some of you, you've been praying for family or friends for a long time, praying that God would get a hold of their heart, that Jesus would get a hold of them, and he would change them in a radical way. Maybe you're the person that's supposed to show it to them. Maybe the reason you're in their life, that you have that relationship, is they are going to see freedom, this newness of life, this broken chains from, from bondage of sin, that they're going to see that because of you. Or maybe the reason nothing has happened and they haven't come to Jesus or they haven't even been in, interested in Jesus is because there's been no difference for you before you became a disciple and after you became a disciple. Maybe they look at you and go, you talk about freedom you talk about grace, you talk about forgiveness, you talk about mercy, yet when I see you and I talk to you, you still do the same things you used to do, still talk the same way you used to talk. Matter of fact, nothing seems to have changed in your life. So I don't think Jesus is real. Maybe, maybe if you walk out in freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe your life is that powerful testimony that'll change someone's life. Maybe God is looking back at us going, I'm just waiting for you to walk out in freedom. I'm just waiting for you to embrace freedom. I'm just waiting for you to walk out going, those things I used to do, who I used to be and how I used to act, no longer has power over me and no longer controls me. Let me show you the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of the gospel that you sent your son to die for everybody. And as disciples, we get to experience the love, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the freedom that is found in you. Lord, I pray for those of us that have not gone public with our decision to get baptized. I pray that we would answer that question honestly with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us that have. Lord, I pray that our life would be a powerful testimony to the truth of the gospel, of the gift and the sacrifice that we find in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.